MailChimp presents. MailChimp presents. In 1995, Alanis Morissette released the album Jagged Little Pill to both critical and commercial acclaim. It went on to become one of the best-selling albums of all time, selling 33 million copies to date. The album spawned three number one singles, two more in the top ten, nine Grammy nominations, five Grammy wins, including Album of the Year, and more than anything else, the songs on Jagged Little Pill became anthems of empowerment across the world. And she did all of this when she was just 19 years old. Very few people could handle the pressure that comes with that much and that kind of attention. Even fewer could do it before they reached 20 years old. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Alanis about the lead single and tone-setting anthem from Jagged Little Pill, You Ought to Know. I'm Shirley Manson, and this is The Jump. I want to start with saying congratulations on a ridiculous career. I haven't seen you in 20 years mm. and here we both are and what a miracle and what a testimony to hard work. Yes. So, well, of course, we're here to talk about one specific song and you picked You Ought to Know mm. from your third studio album, which mm -hmm. blew my mind because when the world met you, this was actually your third record, correct? Mm -hmm. I had a single out. I had a record company when I was 10 years old because nobody wanted to sign kids uh, back, <laughs> back in the day. Now they're, now they're fine with it, apparently. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> now they seek you out in the uterus. Um, so so basically, I'd had a record out. I'd, I'd done, I guess, a, at this point, I could call it an EP when I was 10. And then wow. and then two records in Canada. I knew that would have required me to leave school. And I just wasn't really, wasn't up for that. So I said mm -hmm. no. Yeah. And then I was dropped from MCA Records after, I guess I was 18. Because wow. I was starting to write songs that were less... Less compatible, shall we say, with the records that I'd had in my teen years and a little more autobiographical, heaven forbid, not rhyming. <laughs> and so I was writing all these songs and, and I, I did one of the last videos that I did with MCA and I remember they were mortified because there were snakes in the video and it was, you know, it was, it was risky. <laughs> and they both, you know, two people came up to me after they saw the video at Canada's equivalent of, of MTV and they said, you know, we don't think where you're going is the way to go and you should really pretty much keep doing what you're, what the people you've worked with as, as a teenager, I think you should do that. You know, and I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> and, and then not, not long after um, MCA said, we can't, we can't really continue on this journey with you. We, th you know, they didn't say this directly, but Basically, it was, we, we really think you're done. And that must have been pretty devastating, getting dropped to 18 years old. In a way, it wasn't because of what was going on. Because every meeting I went to, I it was, you know, basically what I was presenting was being met with resistance and being met with, we don't think this is a good idea and what are you talking about? And and the, collaborator, the collaborators I was working with at the time, whether they were aware of it or not, they, you know, I think there was just fear of of some of the content that I wanted to write. There was even 
there was a lot of questioning around whether I was a writer, you know. And so for me, there was an emancipation a little bit when I was dropped. Mm-hmm. It was devastating because rejection sucks. But, um, but it was also not devastating. It was pretty liberating. And I thought, finally, I can start from scratch with a clean slate. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. I know the version of me. Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently? And would she have your baby? I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother. So you had a good working relationship with Glenn Ballard, the producer of You Ought to Know. Yes, and collaborator. So yeah, basically I I was starting to write with different people in Canada and in Los Angeles, but I wasn't really precious during the songwriting process. Although once I met Glenn Ballard in LA and we started writing together, I was blown away about at the ease. Not so much that it was an effortless experience of writing You Ought to Know or writing the songs we wrote for Jagged Little Pill, but... But there was a flow to it. There was, there was no resistance, basically. Anything that I wanted to write was not only welcomed, but, um, but the, f- the flame was fanned. <laughs> it's great. I was wondering how much these lyrics were actually the empowered Alanis mm-hmm. or were they a projection of a future Alanis, mm-hmm. if that makes any Great sense. Great question. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Only an artist would ask that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was devastation filtered through fire. I'm, I'm always moved by how multitudinous we are. You know, whenever I ask my kids how they're doing, you know, they'll say three or four or five or six feelings because <laughs> we're aware, you know, I'm, I'm sort of excited, but I'm also a little bit depressed under that. And then I'm also very, <laughs> very bored, but also really, you know, so with You Ought to Know, it was pure devastation. I mean, I was horrified. Um combined with my having learned from the patriarchy. You know, I was basically taught by just modeling and watching the world that so many of us were terrified of being sad and broken. And, you know, males especially, men in my life anyway, were anytime they felt sad or scared, they would just filter it through anger. You know, it's like anger was the go-to. If you're sad, you're angry. If you're scared, you, you're angry. If you're if you're vulnerable, you get angry. You know, so, so with You Ought to Know, you know, everyone quickly sort of connected with the anger and the empowerment. And certainly it's in there, but so is the opposite of that. So is deep, deep sadness and profound disempowerment. I mean, I, I worked through my love addiction issues, you know, 15 years, 20 years after that. So I was still mired in, in these confusing messages about what hetero relationships even were supposed to be. And I was, I was a youngin, you know, still figuring it out. 
I think it's fair to say there's not previous to this record, this whole record of yours, the album, Jagged Little Pill, but I think this song specifically, there hadn't been a lot of rageful expression from the female standpoint in uh, popular music. Is that fair to say? Um, I mean, my experience was, you know, there there was the Sinead O'Connor, Tori Amos. There were, there were yeah. so many women that were raging, you know, mm-hmm. and... And they were everything, you know. So when people think, oh, that's a really angry record, first of all, I'm flattered because if someone's going to one-dimensionalize me and reduce me to one thing, I'll take anger. So it's just so one-dimensionalizing. Even the hypersexualizing of women and music and videos and everything, I'm just like, it's fine. Just know that that's one one millionth of her. Yeah. But the expression of anger is relatively unusual. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I I do want to say yes to that too. It's not, it's not the norm. I mean, the norm is pretty much infatuation songs. You know, when you're working through something, some grist, then a song is a great thing to do for me anyway. Um, But yeah, anger and rage. I mean, if you're a woman body, if you identify as a woman and you're, and you're alive in this time, certainly alive in 1994, if you weren't angry, you weren't paying attention. <laughs> you know, you it's and and in some ways I was super checked out about the degree of how patriarchy was affecting me to the point where people would say after you out and I was released, like, how do you feel about being, you know, viewed as this super empowered woman? And I it was confusing to me because I thought, well, I am empowered and aren't women empowered? But I was clueless about the degree to which patriarchy was, you know, basically trying to choke women. And when you ought to know it was first brought to the radio stations, their response was, um, yeah, we can't play this. We have our quota of one woman or we have, we were already playing Sinead. So sorry, we can't play this, you know? So there was a, a big rejection to playing You Ought to Know at the beginning before K-Rock played it because of their quota. They wanted to keep their female artist quota down, which is mortifying. There was a lot of taboo subjects covered in, in the lyrics of this song and that we hadn't yet really been exposed to. You know, when yes. you talk about Tori or you talk about Sinead, mm-hmm. that yes, they, they, they were well versed in their own fury, but they weren't very explicit. And I mean, it's, it seems so silly to call it explicit. No, but it that's the right word, don't you think? Yeah. Yes. Because it hit me at the time as being really like, wow. I remember just going, oh so smart like I was I was focused above all else on these lyrics um, I, I can remember it to this day on MTV watching it in the upstairs of Smart Studios in Madison Wisconsin I was making our own debut record and watching you wow. you know perform this this song and I was struck by the video but more than anything it was the lyrics I honed into and mm. I was like this is really smart she's like tuning into something that needs to be said at this very moment and it's the right time. Wow. Yeah, I, f- I did feel like there was a wave happening. Um, 
whether we call it the feminist wave or women being honest about their internal experience or whatever was happening, it was happening. And I, I felt like this huge wave was coming and someone said, who's going to ride it? <laughs> and I yeah, just put my hand did. up. I was like, I'll do it. You know, I'm, I am that woman who puts my hand up before I even hear what the freaking request is. It really is. It's like a, a phenomenal moment in musical history, I think. Yes. And you have gone on to you know, sell 30 million copies of Jagged Little Pill, mm. um, which I think is is the biggest debut album of all time. Yeah, I don't know the... In the history of <laughs> music. In the history of the galaxy. I mean, <laughs> fucking hell, girl, that's insane. So tell me where you were when you wrote this song, this exact song. So my journal was full uh, when I was in Toronto. I basically, you know, to this day, I won't tell anyone where, but I have cabinets and cabinets full of journals. So I, I remember crying in my room and then looking at the journal that was just teeming with information of all my crushes or whatever. And I remember walking downstairs and throwing it in the fire thinking that you know, this decision I was making of being willing to be in the public eye was going to be really vulnerable. And if anyone really knew, you know, how vulnerable or how, you know, betrayed I felt or whatever, that that somehow would be the end. And of course, the poetry is that it was the beginning telling these stories, you know. So you're saying these lyrics for you ought to know were, were from a journal? So there are uh, probably two. I had a whole page full that was what I pulled from when we started writing You Ought to Know. You know, telling the stories, especially You Ought to Know, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of assumptions around that song being a song intended to, to you know, fuel revenge, you know. And for me, I love revenge fantasy. Me too. I think we have to really, really, really dream it and visualize the revenge movement or it just gets stuck in our bodies. But, you know, I'm, I'm not the woman that says, oh, yeah, then go do that. <laughs> No. <laughs> Did you automatically think, mm, this is going to be a single? This is this is a standout here? I did, because I loved it so much. Um, there were a lot of people who wanted Hand in My Pocket or uh, Ironic. I didn't even want the song Ironic on my record. Um, but Shows you what you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, and I wanted it to be the first single, and I kind of stood by that for a while. We were... We were a little ahead of the game because we weren't anywhere near releasing it yet, but I just remember saying to myself, not even to Glenn that I would love to have that song at first because, and this is the patriarchal, <laughs> because, you know, the, the old thing of you, you only have one opportunity for a first impression. Okay, okay, sort of. Um, but my whole thought is I had a sense with my model version of, of fame and the vicissitudes of it in my teen years, once someone identifies or once an audience, sometimes, once they identify you, it's really hard to wiggle out of that. And that was my experience as a teenager. So I thought, whatever song comes out first, I don't want to have to wiggle out of that for the rest of my life. And, and that meant 
you know, starting with anger and starting with a sense of power or passion was the perfect place for me to start because it's such a big part of who I was that it was, people were eventually going to find out that I was insecure and vulnerable and love addicted and codependent, you know, they were going to find all that out later. But what a great way to start by saying, even though I am all these vulnerable things, I'm still fire. <laughs> you know? That's it. Alanis Morissette, thank you so much for your time and your kind consideration. I'm deeply grateful to you. Yay. Thank you, Shirley, for your thoughtfulness and amazing questions. Lots of love to you and your beautiful family. Oh, thank you. You too, Shirley. The Jump is hosted by me, Shirley Manson, and is produced by Dan Gallucci. The Jump is an original series from MailChimp, produced in partnership with Little Everywhere. Dan Gallucci and Jane Marie are the executive producers. The Jump is mixed by Mike Richter, original music composed by Rishikesh Hirway, and a very special thanks goes to our wonderful booker, Mara Davis. Mara Davis.